0: Anatomy Department. Welcome back to your fall term. Today we're gonna be talking about development of the reproductive system. Can you all hear me? Morning? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me over there guys? So the very last person in this column can you hear me? Can you hear me? The very last person in this column. Can you hear me now? Okay, great. Yeah. So we're talking about development of the reproductive system. Um, Let's just dive right into it. You guys have all the objectives so we won't um, spend too much time talking about that again. So, development of the male and female reproductive systems are closely related as um we should have surmised now why because um for both sexes we start from a default then customization happens and the female pathway and the male pathways diverge so because we start from a default that's why they're closely related same for the urinary system too and um because we start from a default for both sexes That means in the early stages, it's difficult to differentiate between sexes, which is why when a female is pregnant and the person wants to know the sex, the sonologist tells them to come back. Is that better? Okay. Is this better? Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so... Where was I? Yeah. So if a female is pregnant, the sonologist tells them to come back in the second trimester. Pregnancy is usually divided into trimesters. First trimester is 13 weeks, second 13 weeks, the third is 13 weeks plus the extra one week, making 40 weeks in total. Because um, we start from a default state and we diverge later on, and this process will learn when it's complete, they usually tell them to come back in the second trimester, that's from the 14th week onwards because by then at least the sexes will have been clear-cut and they can make out if this is gonna be a male or this is gonna be a female grossly. Yeah, and of course, because we start from a default and we customize, that means we start from the same building block, but the building blocks is gonna form different things in the male and different things in the female. So that's still introducing the topic. So now let's dive into it, and of course, because I said it's closely related to the development of the urinary system, we have to do a quick review of the urinary system. Kidneys developed from three consecutive primordia lined up on top of each other from the cervical all the way to the pelvic region, pronephros, mesonephros, metanephros, you guys should remember all that. The mesonephric duct especially is important, so don't shake your head, right? It's cool stuff. Yeah, So the mesonephric duct is important, especially for development of the male reproductive system. We'll talk about that in a bit. And the metanephros, as we should remember, should give us the definitive kidney. Bladder and urethra develop from the urogenital sinus. So remember, the mesonephric duct goes all the way to the bottom. Then at the bottom, you have the cloaca that's going to get partitioned into UGS in front, urogenital sinus in front, anorectal canal behind by the urorectal septum. You guys should remember all that stuff, right? If you don't, go back and review it. <laughs> um, then why we, may, why we especially talk about urogenital sinus is because urogenital sinus is important in the development of the vagina in the female. So we're all still following me so far, right? I've not lost anyone. Hopefully I don't lose anyone during the course of the lecture. I know embryology can be a bit challenging. I usually recommend a channel on YouTube. It's called Embryology. That's just the name. They have um, short videos where they show all these things in 3D, sometimes with accompanying commentary, sometimes without. But I, f- I find that it's easier following these processes if you have a video to watch while you're studying. At least that's what works for me. Yeah. So, in talking about the development of the reproductive system, we're gonna be talking about development of the internal genitalia or the internal genital organs and the external genitalia. So now we're starting with the formation of the internal organs. That's the um, testes in the male and the ovaries in the female. So we'll get to the testes in a bit because people will ask me that, I'm saying the testes is internal but it's on the outside. We'll get to that in a bit. So the ovaries are the gonads in the females, yes. The testes are the gonads in the males. Then for the ducts and their derivatives, you get the uterus, uterine tube, vagina, greater vestibular glands. Then for the males, you get the epididemies, the doctor's deference, the seminal vesicles, the prostate, and the bulbo glands. So this is just an overview of the internal genital organs. We'll get into their development in a bit. So remember, I told you guys that uh, for both sexes, we start from a default. Then later on, customization occurs, and the female path diverges from the male path, right? So uh, for the gonads, they develop in, they develop in, in the intermediate mesoderm. So, rem- if you remember your early lectures for the mesoderm, you had the mesoderm that was merely surrounding the future um, that was merely surrounding the somite that was going to develop into the future um, vertebral column, right? No, no. You had the gonads that was merely surrounding the notochord actually, because that forms the axis. So that's a paraxial. Then you had the, not- uh, the mesoderm that was beside that. That's the intermediate mesoderm. Then you had the lateral plate mesoderm that was going to split into somatic and splanchnic so the gonads develop in the intermediate mesoderm in what we call the gonadal ridge remember i told you that um, i told you that the that this is closely allied to the development of the urogenital system so the mesonephros is just lateral to this gonadal ridge so this is medial to the mesonephros so that's the gonadal ridge in the intermediate mesoderm and can you guys all see, oh, the cursor is not showing, right? Let's see, can I bring it up? Can you see the cursor? Thanks. <laughs> um, but you guys can see the good average. Uh, the other day I was using pointers and your colleague said I shouldn't use that because it doesn't show on the screen. That's why I didn't bring the pointer. But you guys can see the gonadal ridge, right? So that's where the fun stuff starts. So, like I've mentioned, there are thickened ridges, thickened area of mesothelium underlying mesoth- mesenchyme. They're in the intermediate mesoderm. They appear from the fifth week, as I said, on the medial aspect of the mesonephros. They are found in the thoracolumbar area. And like I said, they're indistinguishable early on in development. Then you guys can see in the... Cross-sectional diagram on the in, on the on the right-hand side of the screen: the p- migration of the primordial germ cells. So, the primordial germ cells are what will give us the um, that what will give us. Forgotten, <laughs> trying to remember that what will give us the oogonia in the female and the spermatogonia in the male. So, and those primordial germ cells don't develop in the gonadal ridge; they actually arise in the endoderm of the yolk sac and they migrate via the dorsal mesentery of the hindguts to get into the gonadal ridge. So that what will give rise to the spermatogonia in the male and the ugonia in the female. right? And they, they, they'll migrate from there. So those ones appear in, you, you start seeing those primordial germ cells from like day 24 and they start migrating and from like the 5th to the 6th week they should arrive at the gonadal ridge and they're going to give rise to the spermatogonia in the male and the oogonia in the female so we're all still following right Great. yeah and the, the cool cartoon is showing you how it migrates, and the cross-section shows you better where it's coming from. Endoderm of the yolk sac. The yolk sac is also called the umbilical vesicle. Migrate there, get into the gonadal ridge, will ultimately give rise to the Ugonia in the female and um spermato-gonia in male. Yeah. So, from, now, honing down on the gonadal ridge itself, from the uh, um, from the, how do I put it, the mesothelium or the, the outside of the gonadal ridge is that getting what we, what we call gonadal cords um, uh, um, the gonadal cords they're like finger-like epithelial projections from that covering surface and they project into the underlying mesothelium. So now what will now happen is that we get an outer cortex for the gonadal ridge and an inner medulla then the arrival of the primordial germ cells induce formation of the gonads. Please do not forget that. Meaning if for whatever reason, primordial germ cells don't migrate into the gonad, we're never going to form the gonads. Meaning we're not going to end up with the ovaries or the testes. So please, that line is super important. Do not forget that line. We're revisiting it in a bit. So, um, Epithelial extensions from the cords g- grow into the underlying mesenchyme and they are going to end up giving the outer cortex and an inner medulla. So, at this stage, we are still at the indifferent gonad stage, as I mentioned earlier. So, thereafter, we now undergo differentiation. The females follow the female path, the males follow the male path, and what's responsible for that is the kind of chromosomes that we get in the developing human. So if the person has an XX or an XY chromosome, that's going to develop, um, determine which path they're going to follow. So w- with the XY especially, on the Y chromosome, there is a region on the short arm of chromosome Y called the sex-determining region or it's also called sex-determining region of Y, or it's also called the SRY gene, and it makes something that we call the testis-determining factor. So that's what's going to channel that indifferent gonad to the male pattern. So let's note that, because even if the person has an XY chromosomal configuration, and for whatever reason, that SRY region is lost or mutated or it's deleted, despite the fact that it's XY, the gonads are not going to differentiate into the testes. Did you all get what I just mentioned? So it's not just the fact that there is an XY configuration. The sex-determining region of Y must be functional. So I'm just throwing that out. We're still going to revisit it in the future. Then, um, the testes develops by regression of the cortex and differentiation of the medulla. Remember, we said the indifferent gonad starts with the cortex and the medulla. So with the testes, the cortex regresses, the medulla develops. In the ovary, however, the medulla regresses, the cortex develops. So please let's note that. And fine, when you're talking about the ovaries, especially um, when you do the histology labs, you mention the fact that the ovary has a cortex and the medulla, but in this stage, we're talking about the indifferent gonad. So indifferent gonad, regression of the cortex differentiation of the medulla gives rise to testes in different gonad regression of the medulla differentiation of the cortex gives rise to the ovaries and this process of sexual differentiation is complete by week 12 which links back to why I say sonologists do their sex determination in the second trimester from the 14 weeks onwards right And I already mentioned the testis determining factor switch for testis development. Yeah, so here comes our first clicker session. Really, really, really. So sorry, guys, I'll, I'll do that again. Anyhow, it's just for checking attendance anyway, so no problem. Oh yeah, so let's take that again. So you guys already saw the answer, so just stick in. So I'm not expecting anything like less than a hundred percent, right? That's it, right? Yeah, and um, I want to believe, find the, the timer is still running down, but I want to believe you guys have all clicked in your answers by now. I'm not moving ahead, Would allow the timer to run down. So looking at this question, can A be the correct answer? Why is A not the correct answer? So one person, one person, I'm hearing, getting so many different responses. So one person, yeah, one person, let someone just volunteer or will volunteer someone. So, yeah, and the process is complete by twelve weeks. Yeah, so why can D not be the answer? Does the mesonephros really affect the development of the gonad? Not really, right? Why can D not be the answer? Because see, this told us that we have cortex and medulla, but no cords, meaning that's an indifferent gonad. So will the absence of testosterone lead to affect development of the indifferent gonad? No. What the testosterone just does is that it, it majorly affects the differentiation of the external genitalia in the male. What about absence of the SRY gene? So the the SRY gene channels differentiation into the male pattern, right? And if it's absent, as long as those primordial germ cells migrate in, the gonad just gets converted into an ovary. Do we get? So despite the fact that the SRY gene is absent, that doesn't mean the gonad will still not develop in someone that has an XY configuration. Did we get that? And usually that's how I tell people to approach questions fine it's good to click in the answer yeah i got the answer we got a freebie today but pick the other options why are they the incorrect options and the next time you're doing that you generate questions that could make those options correct options and with this question i have been able to generate like five different questions and the review is continuing right great Yeah, 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 you saw the answers already. <laughs> yeah, so we, we touched on the testes, um, um, the testicular dev, um, determining factor earlier on. So it induces condensation and elongation of the gonadal cords that causes um, formation of the seminiferous or the medullary cords. Remember, we said in the testes there's regression of the cortex, differentiation of the medulla, in the ovary, there is regression of the medullar differentiation of the cortex, right? So um, as, those cords, as those medullary cords keep growing in, they form the reti testes. Have you guys done the lecture on the male reproductive system as yet? Oh, okay, so you should remember what the reti testes are. The anastomosing network of channels that you find in the mediastinum testes, converg- um, that's a convergence of the tunica albuginea on the posterior aspect of the testes saying all that because you guys should know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, so those cords branch form the rated testes that join with 10 to 15 mesonephric tubules. So those 10 to 15 mesonephric tubules are what will give rise to the efferent ductules in the adults, right? <laughs> so then um, ultimately the mesenchyme, because remember we're developing in mesoderm, so the embryonic connective tissue within that intermediate mesoderm of the gonadal ridge condenses and separates those seminiferous cords that we said, remember we said they were growing from the surface. You had those cords originating from the epithelium lining the gonadal ridge, growing wards become cortical cords, medullary cords, and all that. So fibrous condensation of the surrounding mesenchyme separates them from the overlying original epithelium, and that fibrous condensation gives rise to the tunica albuginia. And remember, like we said, the gonadal ridge develops medial to the mesonephros. So that means the testes has to be separated from the mesonephros, and is suspended by mesochium. Right? Great. So, continuing. The seminiferous cords, the medullary cords acquire a lumen. They become the seminiferous tubules and the straight tubules. We join up to give the rated testes. We remember the straight tubules too, right? Guys, we remember the straight tubules too, right? The tubular erecti. So that means that the medullary cords in the gonad that would become the testes will give rise to the seminiferous cords that become the seminiferous tubules. They give rise to the straight tubules and the reti testes. While the efferent ductules develop from the mesonephric ductules. Right, so seminiferous cords contain the primordial germ cells that spermatogonia in in the developing human. That once the person is given birth to and the person is born, keeps dividing cells of the spermatogenic lineage and will ultimately end up with spermatozoa. Right, but in utero, it's still primordial germ cells. Those primordial germ cells give rise to spermatogonia in the developing human, while and the semiferous cords also contain what we call Sertoli cells. So those cetoli cells are derived from the original silomic epithelium covering that gonadal ridge. And those, um, then the remaining surrounding mesenchyme that we've talked about gives rise to the ledig cells in the interstitium, the cells that will be producing testosterone that will keep influencing development of the male external genitalia. The satellite cells produce anti-Mullerian hormone. We've not talked in detail about the ducts, but the ductal system, there are two of them. There is the mesonephric or the Wolfian duct, and there is the paramisonephric or the Mullerian duct. So the, set, the mesonephric duct gives rise to the main ducts in the male, and the paramisonephric ducts give rise to the Fallopian tubes, uterus, upper part of the vagina in the female. So these subtly cells produce anti-Mullerian hormone that causes regression of the Mullerian or paramisonephric duct. And that makes the male end up with only ductal derivatives of the mesonephric or wolfian or male internal genital duct. We're all following, right? I've not lost anyone as yet, right? Please don't get lost. Great. Uh, um, so we've, we've covered everything there is to cover about this, and you guys can still see the image. We, we talked about how the primordial germ cells got into the gonad in the first place, and those other cells that you're seeing in the gonad are the Sertoli cells. Those primordial germ cells become the spermatogonia that once the person is given birth to and once puberty starts, they start, differenti- um, they start um, dividing and differentiating and they're going to end up giving the spermatozoa in the male, Right. So here is where we now diverge a little bit. So remember, these were originally internal organs. The gonads are supposed to be in the abdomen they actually develop on the posterior abdominal wall because those gonadal ridges are on the posterior, they end up on the posterior abdominal wall ultimately. But with the male, especially following puberty, when spermatogenic cells are going to start getting produced, we know we need a temperature for optimal development of spermatozoa. What's that temperature? You guys did the male report. You guys... 35 35 degrees and the intra-abdominal temperature is way higher than that. So we need to push out the testes so that that it can exist in a receptive cool, cool enough for it to be able to develop the spermatozoa to their optimal capability. So that's why the testes has to descend. So the testes is connected to the anterior abdominal wall by a mesenchymal structure, we call that the gubernaculum. And the testes, we say it descends, but actually it's not descending. It's because the abdomen is growing or elongating. So initially, remember we said these were in the thoracolumbar region, but as the abdomen grows, the it appears as if the testes is descending. So it's like an apparent descent. It's, it's similar, but kind of a reverse. As what occurs with the kidneys. The kidneys start in the pelvis, but the abdomen grows, so they end up in the lumbar region. So that's why we put that descent in inverted commas. And ultimately, we want the testes to get into the scrotum because now it's in, it's, uh, it's, it's in the exterior. The scrotal skin is very light, um, it's very thin. And if, for whatever reason, the body temperature is getting too much, the testes can get cooled. By hair just flowing over the scrotal skin, and we can maintain that optimal temperature for development of spermatozoa. Right? So remember, testosterone controls this process. I said the developing testis is connected to the anterior abdominal wall by something we call a gubernaculum. So the gubernaculum is like the guide if you've ever gone camel riding in the desert the person holding the camel while you're riding let's assume that's a gubernaculum it guides it outwards but remember the testis was coming from the posterior abdominal wall it develops in the gonadal ridge that's behind the posterior abdominal is behind the peritoneum so as it's descending as it's, as it's going forward that means it's going to do what it's going to drag everything in front of it with it and that's where you come across the layers that you find in the spermatic cord. And when you guys talk about all that, you talk about the layers, the, the layer that will be given rise to by the, um, um, what do you call them again, the internal oblique, the external oblique, and all that, and all that, and all that. So just file that away for when you do the gross lectures on this. Or I think you guys have done that already, right? Purvis and perineum? Okay. When you're reviewing it. Yeah. Um, so like I said, spermatic cord form from fascial extensions from the abdominal wall, and the processus vaginalis is a peritoneal extension into the scrotum. It forms the tunica vaginalis on the anterior surface of the testis. So, like we said, testis develops in the posterior abdominal wall, descends into the scrotum, drags everything in front of it outside, meaning it's going to drag the peritoneum lining the inner surface of the posterior abdominal wall to forwards with it. And that's going to give rise to the tunica vaginalis. But if you are d- dragging something forward, the way I reason this is it's as if maybe you're supposed to come on a stage. Remember all those stage presentations, a curtain, um, the curtains open and they see you and you do your stuff, then the curtains close and... You go back in, but let's say for whatever reason the curtains didn't close. So you are dragging the curtain in front of you, meaning you are leading a portion of the curtain in front. So ultimately, the, the, w- the curtain is a peritoneum, right? But ultimately, whatever is left behind should get obliterated, right? So if that doesn't get obliterated for whatever reason, it could give rise to certain conditions that we'll discuss later on. Ultimately, what we should, le- we should be left with will just be the anterior portion of the cotton or the peritoneum that should form the tunica vaginalis on the anterior and a little bit of the lateral surfaces of the testes. We get it, right? Did we all get the analogy I tried to use to describe that? Great. Um. Yeah, so this was where I was going to get to. So if the connecting portion of the processus vaginalis does not obliterate, that means it leaves a potential track or a potential path that abdominal contents may herniate through. And the thing especially and these you see especially in children because their abdominal cavity is not yet fully developed. That's why most times you see children with bulging abdomens. It's not even well fed children. It doesn't necessarily mean they're or If the child is minority, you know the child is malnourished. But because the abdominal cavity is not well developed, and of course the pelvic cavity is not yet well developed, most of the intestines just bulge out. So you see children with protruding abdomens, then by the time you get to like five, the abdominal cavity is fully developed. So the person should now have a flat tummy. So if for whatever reason, that's. Let's, let's see. Coming. Let me see if I can pull off my. Um, my sweater and try to describe that. I'm coming. So can you guys all hear me? Can you, can you all hear me? So remember I said the testis develops in the posterior abdominal, um, in the gonadal ridge. That was in the posterior abdominal. The peritoneum was in front of it, right? You can all hear me, right? It's not blood. You can hear me clearly. So it was going forward. And as it was going forward, it was dragging stuff with it, right? So I said ultimately what should be left should just be what's in front and what's on the sides. All these should obliterate. But if for whatever reason it doesn't, that means I leave a potential canal that things can pass through and get into the scrotum. Did we all get that? And that's, what, that's how we come about congenital inguinal hernias, that especially with the child, the child gets overfed or the child has any condition that's making the child cough too much, the parents just notice that the scrotum gets enlarged because the intestinal contents are pushed down that track that was supposed to get blocked, but did not get blocked. That pushed through that track into it. That's the first thing. Then the next thing is that remember, this was peritoneum, right? Peritoneum has two layers, and those two layers, in between the two layers, there's a thin film of peritoneal fluid, right? Meaning that this processus vaginalis too, what's leading in front will have a thin amount of fluid in between, right? Interstitial fluid, nothing big. And ultimately, when everything is getting obliterated, the fluid too should get resorbed and all that should disappear. But if for whatever reason the fluid does not get reabsorbed, the person comes down with what we call hydrosil. And that again is common for the most part in children, but you can get it sometimes in adults too. Right? Great. So that's the next. I'm waiting for around 345 or 344 responses. All righty. So, again, congrats to you if you got the correct answer. So, could it have been any of A, B, or C? No, right? Because, remember, we, we discussed that earlier on. We discussed that earlier Hello. Okay. Remember that we discussed that earlier on, right? That all those things were things that were in front of the testes, and as the testes goes out, it drags them with it: the external oblique, the internal oblique, right? And I told you where the tunica vaginal comes from. We said it comes from what? The sura- the mesenchyme, the surrounding mesenchyme within the gonadal ridge itself that condenses between the medullary cords that come from the epithelium, then ends up separating it and forms that fibrous cord, right? And all these other three things were parts of the spermatic cord that I said were just things that were in front of the testes that it dragged along with it when it was descending. We good? We good, right? Great. Yeah, um, so now we get to the condition called cryptochidism, meaning um, crypt is like a, a hidden compartment, meaning that for whatever reason, the testes do not descend into the scrotum, may be uni or bilateral, and the testes can be anywhere along the normal pathway of descent. But usually we find it in the inguinal canal along the region of the deep inguinal ring then uh, sometimes it's in the abdomen. Remember, we said it's anywhere along the path. And what happens with that is, remember, why did we say the testes needs to get into the scrotum? So that at least it escapes that intra-abdominal temperature, gets into the scrotum, where the temperature can be maintained at that 35 degrees Celsius. That's optimal for spermatozoan development, right? So if cryptorchidism occurs that means the testis is stuck inside. That means the temperature is too high. That means spermatogenic cells do not develop. And if we look at that testis underneath a slide, what we'll just see will just be satellite cells. We won't see spermatogenic cells lining that seminiferous tubule. And these testes, these cryptochid testis, have a higher risk of germ cell tumors. So the thing with... Them is even when it's detected late, as long as the testes, even when it's detected late, even when the testes not, has not yet developed a cancer, the surgeons go in and still remove it because it's a potential cancer waiting to happen. But the thing with it is it doesn't occur immediately. So sometimes even if a child is born with cryptokidism, they still wait for the child for about a year at least because sometimes the square descent takes up to a year of postnatal life. But if it's extending beyond then, then they start thinking of things they want to do. Right, um, so for ectopic testes, is somewhat similar. But the thing with that is that this occurs after it's descended into the inguinal canal, then immediately become lodged anywhere along the track in that inguinal canal, and it's quite rare. So it's kind of a subvariant of cryptochidism in cryptochidism, it could be anywhere along the path. In the ectopic testes, it's already in the canal, but now gets stuck somewhere along the canal. Right. Yeah, so we're done with development of the testes. Now we're going into the development of the ovary. Yeah. So, remember, we said we start with indifferent gonads. The ovaries start a little bit later in development than the testes. Um, so, why, why is this so? Remember, we said that the cords that will give rise to both testes and ovaries arise from the epithelium, the overlying epithelium of the gonadal ridge, the growing wards, the ones that grow in wards into the testes, they form the cortical cords and the medullary cords. Cortical cords regress, medullary cords differentiate to form semiferous cords, semiferous tubules, all that, right? With the ovary, that initial process too occurs. But the first wave of migration that gave rise to the medullary cords, those cords degenerate. So with the ovary now, a second wave of migration from the overlying epithelium happens. And in this case, that doesn't get all the way into the medulla, it just stays within the cortex and they become the cortical cords. And those cortical cords pr- proliferate then remember the primordial germ cells that we said migrate into the gonads for either sex. Those ones become incorporated within them. And what's going to happen is that the cords would, by 16 weeks form cell clusters, those will be the primordial follicles that will surround those original primordial germ cells that in this case will now become oogonia, right? And that's how we form the primordial follicles in the female, and ultimately, um, this starts in the cortex, but it's going to extend to the junction between the cortex and the medulla, right? Great. Um, yeah, so that is a complex diagram <laughs> trying to explain the development of the gonads. But remember again, guys, key points. In different gonads before week seven, gonadal development is complete by week 12. Um, Medullary cords give rise to the testes. Cortical cords give rise to the ovary. If primordial germ cells do not migrate into the gonads, the gonads do not develop. So those are key points that we should remember. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we're done with the internal genital system, let's move on to the external genital system or the external gen, external, well, no, no, sorry, we're not done. We, we did just the gonads, now we're doing the internal genital docs, then thereafter we'll move on to the, um, the external genitalia. So remember we said for both sexes to initially, we're gonna get, mesonephric and paramesonephric ducts in both sexes initially. So um, and remember that we said if for whatever reason the person doesn't have an XY chromosomal configuration or the sex determining region of that Y is lost for whatever reason the person is going to end up being a female and the reason why that is so is because those Leydig cells that we said develop from the mesenchyme surrounding um, the seminiferous cords, they're gonna start producing testosterone. And that testosterone is going to act on the mesonephric ducts to cause them to develop into the male genital ducts. Remember that we also said the Sertoli cells would produce what we call an anti-mullerian hormone or an anti-mullerian factor that will cause regression of the Mullerian or the paramesonephric ducts. Right, You remember all that. So if XY configuration is the um, sex determining region of Y chromosome is working, the scalar determining factor is being produced, all that happens. If for whatever reason we have an XX configuration or the sex determining region of Y is not working and there is no testosterone being produced. The person is going to follow the male path, even if the person has XY chromosomes. Did we all get that? Great. Yeah. So I mentioned this before: male genital ducts develop under the influence of testosterone and anti-mullerian hormone. Um, and I mentioned that some 10 to 15 mesonephric tubules persist and they connect the Ritter testes to the epididymis. So the epididymis, um, so those mesonephric tubules become the efferent ductules. The efferent ductules are going to coalesce to give the epididymis. Then the mesonephric duct thickens, acquires both muscles, it becomes the ductus deferens. Right. Then, um, seminal vesicles. So now we're we're getting to the uh, to the accessory male reproductive glands, right? So the seminal vesicles develop as an outgrowth from the caudal end of the mesonephric ducts. Then the portion of the mesonephric duct between the duct of that seminal vesicle and the urethra becomes the ejaculatory duct. Remember, ejaculatory duct is formed by union of the duct of the seminal vesicle and um, the ampulla or the dilated distal end of the ductus deference. That forms the ejaculatory duct, opens into the prostatic urethra. Then for the prostate itself, it's developed from endodermal outgrowth from prostatic urethra and it differentiates in the surrounding glandular tissue while the surrounding mesenchyme forms a smooth muscle and stroma so if we say something is a gland that means um grossly that means generally it had to have developed as an outgrowth from whatever it's emptying into so if i say the prostate gland is an accessory male reproductive gland that means it had to have developed from the ductile system of the male genital uh, of the male reproductive system, right? And that's one thing that we should note. When we get into the GI tract to so we'll talk about the accessory glands, we we'll talk about the pancreas, the liver. Anytime you're saying something is a gland and it's are emptying into something, that means the ducts are to have grown out from that main ducts itself they were outpouchings and they developed wherever they ended up so that's a way of looking at it so seminal vesicles come from caudal end of mesonephric ducts prostate endodermal outgrowths from the prostatic urethra and every other thing that surrounds that glandular portion has to develop from the surrounding mesenchyme same for the seminal vesicle to so the smooth muscle surrounding it develops from the mesenchymal condensations around that glandular portion And the very last um, accessory male reproductive mm-hmm. gland is the urethral. At the bulbourethral glands. They are paired outgrowths on either side. They are also called Cowper's glands, and they develop from outgrowths or diverticula from the spongy urethra. Then the smooth muscle and um, the surrounding stroma differentiate from the surrounding mesenchyme, as usual. Yeah. Now, another question. Right, that's it. So, this is a man. Do we expect these paramesonephric ducts to give rise to any internal genital ducts in a male? Yes or no? No. Could the doctor's deference have developed from the urogenital sinus? No. Could it have come from the gonads? Definitely no. And definitely not from the ureter, because the ureter develops from something else, right? So the only obvious answer we're left with there is the parameesonephrit duct. Oh no, sorry. It's the mesonephric duct. Sorry. Alright guys. So we'll we'll stop here for, for today. We'll continue on Monday.